Hey, Flatirons, welcome. We're so glad you're with us today. We know there are thousands of people around the world who call Flatirons their church home. If that's you, let us know below where you're tuning in from. And also, if today's message was especially impactful, share it with someone you love. Tell them why it meant so much to you. We're stoked you're here. Enjoy the service. Hey, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, before you sit down, go to the back of whatever campus you're at. There are free Bibles. You're gonna need a Bible. I'm gonna say that every week. You're gonna go like, he's, he's talking about it again. I am. Until I'm dead or Jesus comes back, I'm gonna say, go grab a Bible or get a Bible app or something like that. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter four. It's, it's like on page four of your Bible. That's a good one, all right? And then we're gonna go to Exodus and some other places, but we're gonna start there. But, but let me just tell you, um, if you're new here, you weren't here last week or, uh, or, or uh, maybe this is your first week. We're in week two of a series called, again, it's kind of a cowboy series called Branded, where we are unpacking the idea that just like a cowboy kind of lives his or her life by a code, like a set of values or, or guiding principles, the same thing must also be true of those of us who call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus. All right. Uh, let me just tell you, this, this, this service can go a little bit long. I, I, I let my wife uh, read my talk in, or my sermon and she, she says, really good. It's just too long. So I started cutting pages out and it's still long, but I don't care. I was going to go five weeks. I only go four weeks. So you get it all right. So anyway, um, so we're in this branded thing. And, and here's the thing, just like a calf has a brand on him or her to signify, I belong to this ranch. See, a brand indicates ownership. All right. And tomorrow I get to go to my first calf branding. I'm so excited about it. I'll probably cry. But anyway, anyway, but, just, just like that happens with, with a cow, all right, there are certain like principles that mark uh, followers of Jesus, like that, like as, as an ownership, as an I belong to Jesus. And according to Jesus, from Jesus, this is especially true when it comes to like a huge area of our life that Jesus says will be the biggest like spiritual brand on us or, or marker or indicator of the priority that Jesus plays in our, in our life. And also in the same area, Jesus says will be his biggest competitor when it comes to who and what you put your faith and trust in to take care of you. And that in, um, in every day, that is money every time, right? Money, like who's going to take care of me, God or, or money? So, so while a lot of us jump to, so this is a series about money, kind of, but if we were really honest, all right, it's much more a series about faith, like who and what you look to, like, like, or to, to trust what your life would look like if you lived your life by spiritual code or principle, right? And, and that faith that you say you have, that code will inform your entire life, including the role of how you see money and generosity and possessions in, in your life. So there's these four cowboy codes or, or codes for living. Here's what we're going to unpack this whole month. Last week we hit this one. We are stewards, not owners, right? Today we're going to look at this. First things first. The next one is you reap what you sow next week. And then watch out for outlaws and thieves who want to take everything from you, especially your joy. See, we are stewards, all right? We are caretakers. We're not owners. Last week we saw in scripture that everything belongs to God, right? And anything that we have, he has entrusted to us is for us to steward or take care of and leverage in a way that God wants it leveraged. It's his stuff, all right? And he will hold account us accountable for all of it. He will ask every one of us what we did with his stuff, including the money that comes in and out of our lives where we decide to point it. So here's where we landed last week. And this is found, kind of this principle is found cover to cover in your Bible. But God, God makes it clear what you choose to do with what God has currently entrusted to you, like your current level of faithfulness with money or anything else, that reveals the priority God holds in your life and has a direct and proportional effect on how much God can and will trust you with and bless you in the future. They are connected. And for me, that, 
that was kind of convicting, right? And, and, yeah, and here's why, because I don't like that. Maybe we don't like, right? I don't think that, I don't want this to be true, but maybe the reason that I'm not experiencing more of the blessing of God in my life is because I'm not currently being faithful of what he's currently entrusted to me. Which brings me, brings me to today's cowboy quote. There's gonna be one every week, all right? So uh, I, I love this one. Look at this one. It says, the horse is a mirror to your soul, and sometimes you might not like what you see in the mirror. And that's from a great uh, author, uh, horse trainer, Buck Branahan. I follow him on Instagram, uh, Horse Whisperer. He's amazing, all right? right back. But that might be true, that principle number two, that might be true today. We're gonna look at something today. It might reveal something in you that you're gonna look in the mirror and go like, I don't want that to be true about me, but I think it might be. So principle number two is this, first things first, which means this, if God is the first priority of your life, then the rest of your life will fall into order. And if God is not the first priority of your life, the rest of it won't, all right? Now that doesn't mean that if God is first in your life, you won't experience bad days, problems, and painful, tough circumstances. You will, I don't care how much you love Jesus, you're gonna have some rough days. Jesus had rough days right? We're going to have rough days too, okay? What first things first means is that when God is in the highest priority in your life, all the other important priorities of your life will find their order of importance. They're not all equally important. And God will bring you through, he promises, he'll bring you through every circumstance that you face. But you must live by this principle, first things first, meaning God has to come first in my life. And then everything else will kind of sort itself out. And if he's not, it won't. So last week we looked at the biblical idea of, and we're gonna, I'm gonna hit this again because we're gonna talk about it today. Uh, in the Bible, there's these terms clean and unclean, okay? Uh, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his blood pays for, uh, some would say, washes away all right, our, our sin, all right? And the biblical word for what Jesus did is he redeems us, which means he, he buys us, he, he pays for our sin. And we now stand clean before God. There's no sin when God looks at you, all right? Without Jesus, we remain unclean due to the presence of sin in, in our life. So we are saved, we're made clean by grace through faith in Jesus, right? Now you gotta remember that because we're gonna come back to it later. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But Jesus makes it clear that the standard of what it means to live a righteous life, a life that's pursuing the kind of life that reflects the goodness of God. God is like this, right? The kind of life that we were saved to live. We weren't just saved to not go to hell. We were saved to live a different kind of life in, in this life. That standard of how we're gonna live isn't going away. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I'm actually gonna raise the bar. Instead of simply a, a thou shalt not murder, Jesus says, let's go higher. Let's stop being angry with each other all the time, right? That's where murder comes from anyway. Instead of a law about thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus says, do whatever it takes to get lust out of your heart because that's what the, the affair, that led to the affair, right? The law says thou shalt not steal. Question, but now that Jesus paid for our sin, we're saved by grace, are we allowed to steal? Come on, are, are we? No, no. Oh, crap, all right, right, right. Now, I'm, I'm gonna ask that again, okay? Because we now live under grace. Are Christians allowed to steal? Thank you. I could hear that from the other campus. All right. So no, it's still true. Thou shalt not steal still. All right. Right. But just so we're on the same page, because you know, I'm setting you up for something later. The definition, let's, I'll get on the, same, the definition of stealing is this taking and using something for yourself that doesn't belong to you. 
Hey, that's mine. Well, you took it from me. I didn't, right? That's stealing. Now, today we're going to look at, and I'm going to put this up here, a timeless, eternal truth or principle. If I were you, I'd write that phrase in the front of your Bible because we're going to come across them as you study the Bible. A timeless, eternal truth or principle. And it predates the Ten Commandments, all right? So it's not a law. But then in the Bible, it becomes a law that has to be followed. And then when Jesus shows up, he takes the heart or the, the, the principle of that law, right? The eternal, timeless truth, and not only takes it to another level, but he demonstrates in himself what it looks like and how it applies to us in 2024, right? Now, we're gonna, we're gonna look at what God teaches us about this thing, okay? Everybody take a breath, okay? You, if you've been to church more than two or three times, you've heard of this. Today, we're gonna talk about this thing called the tithe. And some of you are going, we shouldn't have come, all right? So, all right, and, and, and just take a breath. All right? I think this is gonna actually pay off for you really, really well, okay? The, the tithe finds its root in a timeless principle called the principle of firstborn and first fruits. okay? Firstborn, first fruits. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. So we're gonna go way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter four, as you're finding Genesis chapter four on your app or in your Bible or, or whatever, right? So uh, let me set it up. Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. They've been kicked out of the garden because they told God, I don't need you. I can run my own life, all right? That's chapter three. Now in chapter four, Adam and Eve have two sons. Uh, the first son's name is Cain, see, your Bible scholar, look at you, all right, right? And the second son's name is Abel, Cain and Abel, all right, right, so, and they don't like each other. All right, so we're gonna pick it up, Genesis chapter four. It says this, now Abel, the younger one, was, he was a shepherd. He was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground, he's a farmer. Now, now anytime you see me underline, I say this all the time, anytime I, I underline, it's like, pay attention to that, we're gonna come back to it, so you might wanna underline it and then write in the margin what this means, okay? Underline, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and this is a metaphor, his face fell. It didn't, boom, right? It's a metaphor, right? So I wanna leave that up there because I've heard that story since I was like in Sunday school. And I never understood it. It's confusing. This doesn't seem fair, right? Why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? But when you nerd out like I do, all right, and pay attention to the wording used in describing how and what each one of them brought, you kind of get the picture. For example, verse three, uh, talking about um, Cain could be translated this way, literally, right? At some point, eventually, whenever Cain got around to it, he brought an offering of some of his harvest. That's how it translates, okay? God's response, I don't want your leftovers, and Cain got mad. Verse four can be translated this way. Abel brought not just one of his lambs. No, Abel brought the very first lamb that was born to each female sheep in his entire flock and sacrificed every firstborn lamb, and that's plural there, it went every time, all right, to God, and God accepted that offering. Again, this happened, Abel did this before we find any written down or spoken law from God about, I want the first one. But apparently Abel's perspective was before I grow my flock, my empire to a greater size, I'm gonna bring the firstborn of each sheep in my flock and I'm gonna offer it to God. His philosophy was God first. Now I don't wanna rush past this, okay? All right. Abel didn't know if that mama sheep was good for one lamb or 10 lambs. He didn't know, all right? But he didn't wait and see and then give God lamb number 10 after he kept nine for himself just to be sure. No, no. 
He gave the first lamb, not knowing if there would be any more lambs coming out of that mama, right? That one lamb might've been the only one that that mama sheep ever produced. And Abel's response, I know, but the firstborn belongs to God, right? And God accepted that offering of the firstborn. Cain, on the other hand, translates this way, gave something, he gave an offering of some of the vegetables or fruit from his harvest when? Whenever he felt like it. Whenever he got around to it, when he thought about it, whenever he had some left over, whenever it was convenient. And, and God says, I don't want it. And, and, and Cain got angry. God asked him, why are you so angry? Just do the right thing. And Cain didn't. I'm not gonna change. He dug his heels in and told God, kind of like, hey, God, you should be thankful I give you any of my stuff. Take it or leave it. You know what God did? Leave it. Leave it. I don't want it. And, and, and God loved, and Cain's anger and jealousy grew until it eventually came out, all right? And Cain murdered his brother. Cain's problem wasn't with his brother. Cain's problem was with God. He took it out on his brother. Ever do that? Ever have a problem with God, but it comes out on everybody around you? Yeah, I took it out on her or him. Yeah, of course. Different sermon. We're not going to hit that, all right? So again, this happened centuries before tithing, giving the first 10% became a law because the law is based on a timeless, eternal truth and principle. First things first. God comes first. Firstborn, first fruits, they belong to God. Again, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to look at when it, when it becomes a law. God speaks to the people through Moses, all right? He gives the law to the Jewish people. They have left Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God leads them out of there, all right? And they're about to enter, cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. Pick up in Exodus chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, underline, here we go, right? Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, let's say the next three words together. One, two, three, it is mine, okay? That's God talking. So, so through Moses, God tells the people, right, consecrate to me or, or set apart and bring to me what? All the firstborn, ready, of both people and animals. The first one to open that, 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 that woman's womb, all right, the first one to be born, set it apart and give it to me. Why? Because, let's say it again, it is mine, right? So this reminds us of last week's timeless eternal principle, everything belongs to God. And that's still true, okay? It's timeless, all right? But, but what we find here from God when he's telling his people what to do with what already belongs to him, he says this, the first one that's born, that one's mine. So, so bring it back to me. In, in other words, it's all mine. And what I'm telling you to do is bring me the firstborn. And then I'll tell you, you can just keep the rest for yourself, right? Everything born after that, that that's, do what you want, right? But the first one is mine. Now skip down to verse 11, and we're gonna find some more instructions as to why is God, God is giving this command. Look at this. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, that's the promised land, it's modern day Israel, right? As he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall, underline, set apart. Because set apart in Hebrew actually translates Passover. You see, I might be going somewhere here, Right? So, right, so you shall pass over to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. Now, this is really, really important, okay? The people are about to go into a new land, and God gives them this command. The firstborn of, of people and animals, and here God gets really specific, uh, uh, just the males, okay? The firstborn males. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to set them apart. I want you to pass over them. I don't even want you to look at them or think of them or regard them as belonging to you because they don't. They're mine. They're mine. Now, why is God commanding this? 
we'll come back to it. Hold on to that question, all right? He keeps on saying this. And this is a weird paragraph here, so I'll explain it. When you go like, donkeys, what are we talking about, right? So, every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. This is very violent, okay? And all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. Now this, again, this needs some explaining. So in the Jewish faith, right, you have, still do today in the Jewish faith, you have certain animals that are considered clean, like sheep. And then certain animals that are unclean, like pigs. If you don't know anything about the Jewish faith, you know they can't eat bacon. Oh yeah, it's pork. There you go, all right, right. So, so clean animals, and I didn't make the list, God did, right? Clean animals could be used as sacrifices to God in order to redeem or pay for things that weren't clean. If you sacrifice something clean, it made the unclean thing clean. Follow that? For, for example, animals such as donkeys were considered unclean. So when an unclean animal like a donkey has a, has a baby donkey, it's redeemed by the sacrifice of the life of a clean animal like a lamb. And if you didn't want to do that, then you had to kill the baby donkey. You know, oh, all right, listen, all right. When a clean animal has its first offspring, that firstborn animal is to be regarded as its mind. It belongs to the Lord and is to be sacrificed. Now, in doing that with the firstborn, whatever future offspring that mama might have, all right, is made clean by the life of the firstborn. In other words, in one sentence, here it is, right? The sacrifice of the life of the firstborn removes the unclean curse and puts God's clean blessing on, on everything to come. You following me, right? And that same directive is given when it comes to firstborn children, right? When the firstborn son is born, God, God doesn't say, kill him. Just take him out in the yard. No, no, no. No, but he does need to be redeemed by the blood of a clean animal. Look at this. The blood of the clean lamb, and every Jewish family did this, right? Removes the unclean curse and brings blessing on the future family that's gonna come through this little boy, right? Now, again, why, why is God telling people to do this? Again, I'm looking at it going, why, why does God need his followers to give them the firstborn of their son? Why does God need the firstborn animal? Why, why does God need the first of, of the crops? And here's the answer to that. He doesn't. God doesn't need anything, right? This sacrifice is not about, it's not even for God's benefit. It's for the benefit of the people who are doing the sacrificing. And you're going, I, how? All right, connect that. By reminding them of something that they will forget, unless they have an ongoing, costly, visible reminder of something very important that made it possible for them to live in freedom and not slavery, under a blessing and not under a curse. What's that mean? Well, keep reading. Here's God. Here's why God is commanding this. So shall it be about, you know, killing the firstborn and, and the sacrifice of the lamb, right? So shall it be when your son, when, you're, when you're, well, a day's coming, right? When your son asks you in time to come, here's what your son's gonna ask. What is this? Can you picture your kids doing that? Like, what's happening, right? Then this is God talking. He says this, a day will come when your son, your children will see you taking the firstborn of the flock, the very first fruits of the harvest, and they'll see you bringing them to God and sacrificing them to him before you keep anything for yourself or for your family. And your children are gonna go like, hey dad, why are we doing this? It's a great question. And here's how God says to answer them. It's still God talking. You shall say to him, to, to your kids, right? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn males in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of people, of mankind, right? And the firstborn of, of beasts. That's the 10th plague of the 10 plagues, right? And this is still the parent explaining this to, to the child. So because of that, there, therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but also the firstborn of my sons, like you, son, I redeem. 
It shall be, here's the why. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, like a visible reminder to remember this. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, I know we live in America and we live in Colorado, right, right? I need you to kind of put aside your Disney intoxicated head for a second. And what do you mean by that? Animals are people too. No, they're not. Write that down, all right, right? So you gotta get out of, now, some of you going, I don't like this, all right? Pray, you'll be fine, right? You gotta get into the minds of the people that this was written to who are going through this. Here's what God says is gonna happen. A day's gonna come, and your son's gonna run, come running in the house from the barn and go, hey, 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 I think Fluffy's about to give birth to her very first lamb. Let's go, and you all run out to the barn, and there's the baby lamb, a brand new baby lamb. He's just so cute, right? And as, as the, the dad sees him, he goes, well, praise God, thank you, God, that's awesome. Then you as dad, you pick up that baby lamb, you take it outside, you say a prayer, you put it on an altar, and then you cut his throat in front of your family. Yay, what a happy sermon, all right, right? And, and your kid's gonna go between hyperventilation. Why? Right, why? Why are you sacrificing? Why are you killing the life of a perfectly good little lamb, an animal that we could keep for ourselves? It's gonna grow up, we could have other, other lambs. It's profit, right? That lamb didn't do anything wrong. So dad, what is this? Here's what you're to say to your children. There was a day when we weren't free. There was a day, before you were born, I was a slave in bondage, and I'd still be a slave. But by his strength, the Lord God rescued us from Egypt. How do you do that? By paying for our freedom with the blood of the firstborn of both men and beasts, and death and condemnation passed over us, and God brought us out here, right? And here's why I'm doing this, son, so that I never forget the price that was paid so that I can be free. So because of that, I gladly sacrifice. I pass over the firstborn. I just give him back to the Lord. With the life of the firstborn, I will gladly redeem you, my firstborn son. That's why we do this. The sacrificial system is not about trying to pay God back for what he has done for us. We couldn't. How would you pay God back? But we're doing this to honor and remember a, there was a moment, there was a night in history when the price was paid to rescue us from the curse of slavery and bring us into blessing and freedom. We, here's his conclusion, we gladly bring to God the firstborn and the first fruit of the harvest as an act of gratitude, we just sang about it, and worship for what God has done for us. And I know, because this room has a lot of Christians in it, I know what some of you are thinking right now, you're still holding on to, yeah, but that's Old Testament, right? That sacrificial system, and, and when Jesus came, we don't have to sacrifice sheep anymore, so that's Old Testament, you're right. Okay, right? But does any of that sound familiar? Because I'm going somewhere, right? The Bible's all about the same thing. Look at this. It's written by a guy named Paul. This is after Jesus comes to some people living in a little city called Colossae. So the book's called Colossians, right? He says this about Jesus. God has delivered us from the power of darkness, slavery, Okay? and conveyed us, brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love, freedom, in whom we have been purchased, Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And this is, this is like, take a picture of this one. This is so good. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The, what's the word? Firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or power. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things, my, my translation says, hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head, like the, the, the king of the, of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the, what's the word? Firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he, Jesus, may have the, and I love this word, 
preeminence. And the definition of that first priority, there's a lot of priorities in your life. He is over every other thing in heaven and on earth. Now, now look at this. This is written to a, uh, by the same guy to a different group of people, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become, not the firstborn, but what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man, back in Eden, came death, by man, Jesus, also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam, we all have this in common, all die. Because we, we have the curse of being unclean, of sin, right? Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive, blessing and being clean. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterward us, those who are Christ at his coming. And what's all that mean? Jesus is God's firstborn, the first fruit who redeems those of us who are to come after, right? See, what Abel brought to God in Genesis 4, the firstborn lamb, that was just a shadow of something yet to come. What? Jesus. Abel was pointing at Jesus. He didn't even know it. When Moses commanded the people to do and, and to remind their children of, that was a shadow of something that was gonna come. What? It all points to Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn who was sacrificed to pay the price. His blood redeems us out of slavery and condemnation of sin. Jesus is the first fruit from the dead to make it possible for us to rise from the dead following him, all right? Are you ready for this? This is a mic drop moment, ready? Jesus is God's tithe. That's all I got. Let's let it sink in. Jesus, God paid the price to redeem those who come later. So my question is, why would a follower of Jesus tithe in 2024? Why would a follower of Jesus take the first 10% of their income and bring it to the Lord? And there's a lot of reasons, but none of them is because it's a law or a rule, right? I'll give you some of it. First of all, and this is from last week, here's the number one reason. A follower of Jesus understands that everything belongs to God and we are to be trusted stewards, not owners. So God, this is your stuff. Tell me what to do with it. But specifically, God says about the tithe, the first 10%, God says this. God says, it is mine. The tithe, the first 10% that belongs to me. That's timeless. That didn't change when Jesus showed up. That is a timeless, eternal truth and principle. Everything, you believe this, everything still belongs to God, right? You still believe, all right, right? And if it belongs to God, and I take or keep something for myself that belongs to somebody else, by definition, we already covered this at the beginning, that's called stealing. So let me go back to an earlier question. Just because we're saved by grace, does that mean Christians are allowed to steal? No. Somebody going, I don't like where this is going, all right, right? I agree. And God agrees with that too which is why God calls it out and says this. And this is God talking about not sinners and the world and people out there. He's talking about his people who belong to him, have been stealing from him. You say, well, how would a person steal from God? That's the question. And I, I gotta be honest, most everything I'm gonna teach from, from the rest of this talk, right, is a new perspective for me on money and tithing. This is new and fresh and very convicting to me. So God asks the question, will a, will a man rob God? Yeah, you robbed me. And here's the question. How? In what way have we robbed you? God answers, in tithes and offerings. This is God talking, and God started this chapter, Malachi 3, right? He starts like this. I, the Lord, do not change. I'm timeless. And then he makes this timeless, eternal, unchanging statement. To not tithe or not bring to God what belongs to him, to keep for yourself what doesn't belong to you, God says that's the same thing as robbing from me. Again, I've never thought about it like that. And here's the result, which explains huge seasons of my life. That's why you are cursed with a curse. Why? For you have robbed me. I'm not talking to a few of you. The whole nation. 
And then what, what does God, if you keep reading that chapter, what does God say is the solution? You want things to change in your life? You, 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 you could do, here's your options. You could dig in your heels like Cain did. You get angry and not change at all. But God says, if you want to get out from under, like feeling like you're living under a curse, how about try this? All right, bring, what's the next word? All, and I researched it. It means all, all right? Like, not some, all right? Bring all the tithes first into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Then he says this, you don't believe me? Try me. Try me, test me in this. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. Here's what God is saying, all right? Tithing is not only returning to God what's already his, but when we bring, this is gonna be sound too good to be true, okay? When we bring the tithe back to God, the first 10% redeems and blesses the other 90% of your income. That's what God says, all right? In other words, I'm gonna say this several times, all right? God, what's the word? So this isn't maybe. He said, test me if you don't believe me, all right? God promises to bless the remaining 90% of your income more than you could accomplish with it if you kept all 100% for yourself. And God said, if you don't believe me in this, test me. But remember, the blessing comes after the tithe. The first 10% is returned to God, not before. It's like, well, bless me, and then I'll tithe. No, it doesn't work that way. See, Jesus, this is a test. Jesus repeatedly says that what you do with your money is the number one test that reveals what a person's heart loves and who and what they put their faith in. I'm gonna make a strong statement. If you don't like this statement, email God. Okay, because I, I wouldn't pick this fight unless it's in the Bible. Like, I gotta teach this, all right, right? But according to God, according to, not Jim, this is what Flatterns has been teaching, all right? According to God, all right? And this is, a, it's a kick in the stomach, buckle up, all right? I was gonna say, wear a cup, here we go, all right? So some of you don't even know what that means, and that's good for you, all right? So big, big statement here, look at this. Tithing or refusing to tithe the first 10% of your income is a test from God that reveals if you put God first in your life or if you're a thief. Uh, take a breath. It took me a while to recover from that. That's what God said, and he still says, because it's a timeless, eternal truth. Please, please, please hear this, okay? We don't tithe so that God will save us. We're already saved, all right? We don't tithe so that God will bless us. But, but God promises that when we tithe, it will result. He says, I will, I will, I will bless you, all right? The person... I'm gonna get really in some Christian's face right now, okay? The person who says, I can't afford to tithe has never tithed. What do you mean? Because the person who tithes says, I can't afford not to tithe. Why would I wanna go back to living under the curse of living on 100% when blessing is available to me by prioritizing God with the, with the first 10% and then wisely stewarding the other 90%? The only people, if you don't, you don't agree with me, that's fine, you're wrong. The only people who are critical of tithing are those Christians who don't want to tithe. They're just trying to justify it. Right? This is a tough one for me. I had to, I had to write this stuff, right? I had to study my Bible, right? This is not empty prosperity gospel manipulation. Right? You give God one, he'll send you 10. That's not true, right? This is a biblical promise from God. And personally, here's why I feel confident teaching it. It's my story. I know it's true. So I'm gonna say it again. When you prioritize God with the first 10% of your income, God promises to redeem and bless the remaining 90% so that it prospers more than if you kept all 100% for yourself. And someone going, I don't know. You won't know if it's true until you test it. And most of us go like, no, the math doesn't make sense. I don't see how God's gonna do that in, 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 my, in my case, all right? I, I don't believe it's true. And so you know what? You're not gonna test it, which is why you'll never know or experience the promise of the blessing. I, I'll be honest, I don't have a dog in a fight if you tighter it or not. 
right? right? I, I, your obedience in this area of life doesn't affect me. And my, my salary doesn't go up or down based on the offer, right? Somebody above me sets my salary, right? I'm only teaching this for one, maybe two reasons. Here they are. God loves you and I love you. And I want you to live under blessing, not under the curse of financial stress and anxiety and dis, dis, disappointment that Robin and I have lived on, under for most of our marriage until we got our arms and heart around that. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. And again, this is a new teaching for some of us, even if we've been Christians for decades. So again, I want us to really get our hearts and heads around this because you're gonna have to wrestle with this all week long. So we've used two different terms when it comes to talking about spiritual financial stewardship. The, the first one is this. We, I've used this term tithe, which means it, tithe is 10th is what it means. The first 10% of your income. The second term is offerings, anything that you choose to give over and above the tithe out of the remaining 90%. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I'm going to nerd out on you, but then it'll make sense, right? Whenever the tithe is mentioned in the Bible, the verb that is used in reference to the tithe most often is bring, as in you bring your tithes into the house of the Lord. Whenever the offerings is referenced, the word give is normally used, as in you give your offerings. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Oh, so much. Here's the answer. You can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can only bring it or return it to the proper owner. This is grammar, right? Tithing is simply bringing back what already belongs to God and to keep what doesn't belong to you for yourself. God says, you're robbing me. You give offerings out of the overflow, out of the 90% remaining after the tithe is prioritized and returned to the owner. How much should you give to the things of God out of the remaining 90%? Here it is, right? Whatever you decided in your heart to give. This is what Paul's talking about. And Christians go, they, 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 they usually go, they take it way out of context. It's whatever you feel like, right? It's not what, that's not what he's talking about, right? When Paul writes this to a little church in Corinth, they're taking up a special offering for some people who don't go to their church. They live in another part of the world, all right, outside of Corinth, but, but there's a famine there, there's a drought there, and they're starving to death. And they go, hey, Paul, should we give to that? And Paul goes, yes, you should give your offerings that generously give. That's really, really important because the 90% is yours to steward and decide where you want it to go. But the tithe, I'm not even talking about that. That's not some discretionary account. The tithe belongs right here in the house of God. Again, with the tithe, I'm just acknowledging, I'm simply bringing back to God what's already his. Well, where, do I, where am I supposed to bring God's tithe? God's very specific. You bring the whole tithe into the house of God. In the New Testament, that's the local church. There's not a temple in Jerusalem that we give to. The local church community that you have partnered with where you serve, that spiritually feeds you and your family. You don't, and I'm gonna make so many Christians mad right now. You don't split the tithe between your church and, and, uh, and this fr I have a friends in ministry over there and my cousin's going on a mission trip. All right, no. The tithe doesn't go to some good cause, like I wanna save puppies or I wanna fight cancer. All good things, and I've given to lots of stuff like that, right? And that's what you should give to, your offering. But it's after you bring the whole tithe back into God's house, your local church. This is what God says to do with his money. Now, I'm going to slip one more in there, and then I'm, I'm going to land this plane. We're going to sing a great song. We're going to have communion today. Okay, so, so let me slip in one more teaching as to why a person would follow, who follows Jesus would give 10% of their income. And by the way, one is this is going to blow your mind. And two is, if this is my only point, this would have been a 10-minute sermon. Some of you are going, I wish this was a 10-minute sermon, right? But, but here's, here's the takeaway in case you're leaving, right? Um, Jesus commands us to tithe. Well, I thought it was Old Testament. 
Jesus commands us to tithe. Look at this. I'm gonna set it up. We're in Matthew 23, if you have your Bible, right? Some of you are gonna go, I gotta see that for myself, all right? Jesus is going through this. He's just railing on these hypocrites. You claim to be one thing on the, on the, outs, in the outside, but inside you're just totally very, very different. You're just a hypocrite. Matthew 23, he says this. Woe to you, like, watch out. It's not gonna go well for you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. What makes them hypocrites? You give a, a, tithe, a tenth, a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And that's where Christians mostly stop reading, okay? What Jesus is saying, hey, hey, you, you religious people, you're so intense about tithing. Uh, you, down to, you take out your spices out of your spice cabinet, right? And you measure it out in, into 10 parts and you give a tenth to God, right? And, but when it comes to treating people around you with justice and mercy and faithfulness, right? You totally neglect the more important matters of the same law that tells you to tithe. And then Jesus says, really commands us, his followers, in the next verse, all right? And this is what most Christians don't go on and read. He says this, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former, Tithing. In other words, again, this is going to just be called Make Christians Mad Day. Okay, so it's not I honor God by tithing, but I don't honor people. Just pick it. No. And it also isn't I try to honor people and how I treat them, but I don't honor God by tithing to him. No. Jesus says it's not either or. It's both. A person who is not a hypocrite honors people by giving them justice and mercy and honors God by bringing him the tithe. That is Jesus he says, I'm commanding my people both. So again, it's not, well, I don't tithe, but I serve kids ministry. I volunteer. I, I, you know, I, I welcome, I, I wear in the party. I, I pray for people. Jesus says, great. But, but one doesn't replace the other. My, my, I'm telling you, do both. Serve people and then tithe to the Lord. Here, here's something you may or may not know and you may, may not like it, but it's true, right? In order to be a staff person, a, a member of Flatiron staff, or to, to serve on the board of elders who gives oversight to me, they're my bosses, all right, and, and, and to protect the mission of, of Flatirons, one of the requirements, not the only one, but one of the requirements is that you agree to tithe no less than 10% of your gross income back to the Lord through Flatirons. And if you don't want to do that, that's okay. We're not saying you're a bad Christian. We're not, we're not saying you're not a Christian, but you just can't be on staff, and you can't be in leadership at Flatirons, which for some of you are going, well, that's a little extreme. No, it's not. It's actually very, very simple. If you applied it to any other part of your life, it comes down to one question. Do you want this church to be led and overseen by thieves, or by men and women who are striving to submit themselves to God? Who do you want leading your children? Who do you want leading us towards the Lord, right? Which includes all areas of life. I mean, we have very high standards for marriage and sexuality and family and purity, but it also includes finances, believing that if we are faithful with what God has entrusted to us now, he will be able to trust us more in the future, not with just more money, but more influence and more opportunity to win more people to Christ. And that's what we're going for. So here's my personal mantra. Leaders go first. All right? If we're not, I'll just make a point. If I'm not, if you find out, I'm not practicing and striving to do what I'm standing up here preaching about what you... God says, you ought to do. Would you trust anything I said? If I'm up here talking about marriage, you find out I'm cheating on Robin, would you trust anything I said? So when I'm giving you any type of, this is what God says, and you find out I'm not doing it? No. It's like leaders, you gotta go first. So, so let's get back to the biggest why, and then we'll, we'll have communion together, why we're to bring the whole tithe into the house of God. The main reason that points to all the other reasons, right? The tithe is, ser- is, is meant to serve as a, 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 a tangible reminder of something. 
Or as Moses says, a day is going to come when your children ask you, why, why are you writing that check? Why, why do we give so much money to our, to our church? Is it a law? Is it a requirement in order to be called, like, be a good Christian? So hold on to that. But here's what I also know by experience. There will also be a day, and I've sat at this table, where you'll sit at your kitchen table or your counter or wherever you pay bills, and here's what you'll wrestle with. There are more bills than there are money to pay them. And you'll be tempted to look at that and go, well, this month I can't keep God first. I can't tithe. I, he can't be first this month. And if you're like me, you'll have all these mental gymnastics and rationalizations, and this is where you'll land the plane. But he understands. In that moment, here's what you're gonna have to stop and do, because I still have to stop and do it sometimes. Remember. Time out, I gotta, I gotta remember. Hey, listen, everybody. All right? There was a day when you weren't saved. You were lost. Just like Israel was in slavery and bondage in Egypt, there was also a day when you were a slave. I was a slave to sin. I was condemned to die. If, 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 if I had died or Christ had returned, I, I'd be lost. But then a day came. Remember your day? But God changed everything, right? But God, by the power of his hand, gave his one and only son, his firstborn over all creation, Jesus, and his blood redeemed me and you. And when we put our faith in him as Lord and Savior, we're made clean. Jesus, the clean firstborn, has saved you and I and redeemed us when we were unclean, before we even paid attention to him. So because of that, I gladly give him my first fruits, my tithe, my, in faith, trusting that when I am faithfully obedient to him in this really faith-stretching moment at my kitchen table, the God that saved me will be faithful to take care of me, even though I don't know how he's gonna do it. And then you have it. So before anything, God's gonna come first. One more, look at this. The tithe is a real life, and it's expensive, isn't it? Reminder that through the blood of his firstborn son, Jesus, God rescued me from slavery and condemnation of a sin, and I have faith that he will continue to bless and take care of me and my family. This is probably the strongest talk you've probably ever heard me give. It's the most convicting one for me, because I've been wrestling with this, because I, I knew I was gonna have to stand up here and face you, all right? But maybe the reason it's so strong and convicting is because it's really important, which is why it's bringing up such strong emotions in you right now. It's very intrusive, it's very convicting, and it feels so expensive, like, I don't think I can afford to do that. And Jesus said, I know, I know, you will always live in the tension of counting on Jesus to take care of you or counting on money to make us happy and content and safe. But let's be honest, it never has done it one time for long, right? So Jesus' goal and the goal of this talk today is not to pressure anybody or guilt anybody to give more money to Flatirons, nor is it to make you feel like you're some kind of bad Christian if you don't tithe. The goal is when God is in the proper place, the preeminent place, first things first place in your life, and when your obvious response to understanding what he has done for us is gratitude and honor and worship, and when you're faithfully obedient to God in, in the face of tension and the unknown, God, not Jim, God promises blessing. Not salvation, we're not talking about it. You're saved, all right? Yeah, all right? But blessing, but blessing only comes on the other side, the backside of your faithful obedience. And that's what we're gonna pick up next week. You can't reap blessing until you first sow in obedience. All right, everybody get out their phone one more time because I want you to look at this because you have all kinds of stuff going on. So this, this will take you to our website because um, here's what's going on in all our campuses right now and online, right? You're sitting there in your living room or wherever you're, you're watching this, right? Here's what you're, the conversation you're having in your head. Like, you don't know my situation. If I gave 10% of my income today, 
They'll take my house. They'll repossess my car. My kids won't eat. If, if I, you don't, I'm upside down. Right? I get it. Been there. But here's what I also know. It will always be that way unless something changes. And where do you start? It just seems so overwhelming, right? So Michael Kane, our CFO, and I, we got together this, this week, and at this, this, whatever that witchcraft sign is that takes you to the magic land, right? Anyway, but uh, we put together some first steps. Because it doesn't matter if you pray about it or I, my intentions are right. If you don't have a strategy, it's just gonna be more of the same, right? And I'll be honest, it won't happen all at once, but directionally, we have to start moving in a better direction, right? This is what I know from experience. Pray about it. Wishful thinking, I got a vision for my life, but if you don't have a strategy, and you know where it starts? How bad do you want it? How painful is your life right now? That you say, it cannot be like this anymore. Something needs to change. Tithing is a reminder. Jesus is so smart, all right? He knew that we're all gonna sit at kitchen tables and go, it's too much. We're gonna lay in bed and go, it's too much. So, except in this case, we're not talking about our bills. Here's what we're gonna talk about. I have sinned so much, I don't know if there's enough grace to cover it. I have messed up so many times, I bet he's run out of love for me. I, I have disappointed, I assume I have disappointed God so many times that he's just turned his back and says, no, no more. And in that moment, he says, I want you to take, not a, not a baby lamb, me. I'm the Passover lamb. I want you to take a piece of bread. He, he, and he taught them this at a Passover meal, right? Take this bread, and they had no idea what he was talking about. He broke it, and he said, everybody eat this. This is my body. And you have to think, they went, what? And then he poured out wine, and he says, this is my blood. It's poured out for you. It's a new covenant. We're in a new relationship, a new agreement. So drink this, all right? And they had no idea what he was talking. You know why? Because it was Thursday night. And it hadn't happened yet. But you got to think on Friday, when they're looking up there on that cross, they all go, oh, he's the Passover lamb. He's grace. He's forgiveness. He's mercy. He loves me. He gave it all. That's what Jesus done for us. So we're going to pass out bread and, and juice. It's, um, it's bread. It doesn't have anything like no eggs, no rice, no sugar, no wheat, no, it's space stuff. I don't know, but it's the body of Christ, all right? And, uh, and so, and you're going, am I allowed to do that? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Do you need him in your life? Then you take communion with us, okay? This is what the community does, all right? You take that and you remember that you didn't save yourself. He saved you. He paid the price. He loves you. You drink that, 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 that grape juice and remember that, that blood makes you clean, made you clean, and keeps on making you clean every day. And you, are you gonna mess up? Absolutely you are. That's why it covers you even today. And you're gonna forget that. You take this bread, you drink this cup, and you remember one word, Jesus. Jesus, that's what we're gonna sing. So let's just pray. God, um, in this moment, uh, the only thing I wanna speak over this audience is, is simply one word. I speak Jesus over him. Because with Jesus comes mercy and grace and forgiveness, patience, kindness, justice, God, we need all these things in our life. And then there's this thief out there that wants to just take that all away, steal our joy, steal our hope. And so we have to come back and sit at a table every once in a while with you and just say, okay, I, I gotta get first things first. Jesus, you're first in all my life because there's no one like you. And that's why I'm gonna take this bread and this juice right now and I'm gonna remember Jesus. 
And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Flatirons Church Online. We hope you enjoyed it today and that God moved in a mighty way. We want to let you know that we have brand new content coming out all the time, including live streams every single Sunday. And if you don't want to miss out on any of that content, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. We also want to let you know that if you believe in what Flatirons is doing, and that's to reach a lost and broken world, there's a give button that you can hit to take next steps there. Well, we hope you enjoyed it, and we can't wait to see you next time.